Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 91, with Shane Milkey. And welcome to episode 91 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today's guest has been working around the web in interactive motion and interface design long since before it was as popular as it is today. He is one of the pioneers of the heavily layered Photoshop style that is prevalent in the sports industry. And he actually did it before Photoshop even had layers and automatic effects. He's won many awards for his work, which includes brands like Adobe, Blizzard Entertainment, Paramount Pictures, Riot Games, Warner Brothers, Converse, YouTube, and more. Currently, he's a freelance interactive creative director, designer, animator, developer, photographer, and more. And he does all of this while simultaneously being a top CrossFit athlete for his age group, as well as a high school football coach for... Santa Margarita Catholic High School, a program that has produced high-level Division I athletes such as Carson Palmer and others. I'm very happy to welcome to the podcast, Shane Seminole Milky. Welcome to the show, Shane. Appreciate you taking the time for coming aboard. Yeah, I'm glad we made this work. Thanks for having me. So I got to ask, where uh, where does the middle name come from? So that one came from my dad. And I I find this a fun story because it, to me, it relates to my personality. But you know, so he gave me the the name Seminole because the Seminole Indian tribe was the only tribe to never sign a peace treaty with the U.S. government. And so, you know, think back in the '60s, you know, I mean, peace, love, and whatever. I mean, he, he wanted to instill upon me this mentality that I would never give up and I would never give in. And you know, it, it's to me, it's it's amazing that you know that's. However, that's a part of my personality. You know, you can't really maybe say it's direct relationship because of my middle name, but that that is a real big part of my personality. So I, you know, I I think the two are completely in sync. And you know, I'm like, oh yeah, like it, it fits. You know, when I when I say that out loud, that description. But yeah, that's where it came from, my dad. So very cool, man. And and I can absolutely tell as well, just from our brief discussion before recording. But it's it's kind of interesting. I never really thought about that. How much a name actually means can can influence certain things almost I don't know if subconsciously or whatever yeah I don't, I don't know how it you know I guess like you said whether it's subconscious or not but then the other so my first name Shane comes from the main character of the movie Shane so it was a you know it's back I forget maybe it was in the 50s whatever with the uh, main character was Alan Ladd but again kind of like a begrudging he was a like a gunfighter who um didn't want a gunfight anymore but he, you have to see the movie to really understand but there's you know personality characteristics of that character that uh, I, I look at and go like, yeah, that's, you know, I, I resonate with that. So, you know, it's, as you said, whether it's subconscious or, you know, just inherently there, who knows, but, uh, you know, or maybe I'm just trying to, you know, we're, we're trying to make, I'm trying to make connections in my mind to something that really doesn't exist. But uh. <laughs> Well, that's, that's still cool. It's still cool nonetheless. So I, I like to, at this point of the podcast, just give guests an opportunity to share a bit of a bird's eye view of their career. Uh, you know, nothing super in depth as we can kind of get into that as the show goes on. But can you just kind of give us a, a roadmap leading up, you know, from when you started to sort of where, where you are today? 
Oh, that's a tough question. I could go on for, for <laughs> quite a while. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know where to really start other than, I mean, there's a part of me that wants to go back a little further, like before, you know, anything, you know, for my even knew my career as my career, you know, so, you know, fast forward, reverse back to when I was a kid, I was always just a kid who liked to draw and I would watch cartoons and I would pause cartoons and then draw frames of those cartoons. So I was always really into drawing. And then at an early age, my parents got me, um, it's called an Atari 1200XL, which was, you know, an early version of an Atari, not the like the Atari 2600, but it had like a full blown keyboard with a floppy drive dot matrix printer. And like a, you know, you could get game cartridges, obviously it was an Atari, but you also could get like a basic what was called basic programming cartridge. So you programmed the basic, basic. So like 10 go to 20, 20 go to whatever. And then I would, you know, get uh, these uh, like basic programming books where you could like do drawing APIs, you know, so you'd like, you know, etch a sketch style with your joystick, like, you know, program out a, you know, 50 lines of code, you know, from this book, save it to your floppy drive and be able to, you know, do like an etch-a-sketch style with a joystick on, on your TV. So that was kind of where I started. And then fast forward to after college, um, I came home from college, didn't really know what I wanted to do, started coaching football and ran into um, a former teammate of mine who was working for the dad of a former teammate of mine uh, who had started this little internet company. This is like 1996, you know, so this isn't, uh, you know, five years ago. This is like, you know, right at the beginning of when, you know, websites and, you know, the internet were like becoming like marketing tools. Right, and like a cons- more of a consumer thing where we had yeah. access as opposed to scientists. Yeah, it wasn't just like, you know, message boards and, you know, download, you know, games or something like that. You know, I mean, it was very informational and, you know, we're talking, you know, graphics and images were, were, were starting and, you know, that type of stuff, you know, so very like ground level type stuff. And, you know, from the minute he mentioned, hey, this is what I'm doing, like there was something about it. And I remember going, oh, well, tell me more because, you know, I had some experience in college with with Photoshop and, you know, different things, you know, I knew enough that I was like, oh, like, you know, at the time where I was playing with Photoshop in college through a friend of mine that I was like, this is interesting, you know, so, you know, to, to hear that, you know, at that moment was kind of like, a, you know, my ears pricked up and that was kind of, the, you know, all she wrote, you know, it was uh, from there, it was, uh, you know, playing, up, playing with that stuff and staying up till two o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I think the first two years I, you know, made like a total of like $7,000. Like it wasn't a career, you know, I mean, it was the foundations for the career, but, you know, I wasn't making any money. I was making more money coaching football and, and all of that stuff than I was, you know, like learning, learning all these ground, ground level rules and things like that. So, um, did that answer the question? I think that's like the early, you know, yeah, okay. So, yeah, absolutely. So continue, you know, I mean, from there it was, you know, once I identified that that was like, this is something that interested me, it was just being ravenous about consuming as much as I could about it, you know, getting into, you know, finding things that inspire you, which, you know, in those early days was, you know, flash websites, um, specifically, I mean, a lot of people from, from that, generation, you know, an era, you know, started to, you know, focus on certain flash websites that were, you know, doing awesome jobs. One of those was too advanced and, you know, from, it was created by a friend of mine, uh, Eric Jordan. And at some lucky point, I applied to a job with them and got a job because, you know, mainly because I was local, not because I was really talented at the time, but, you know, I, I lived 10 minutes away from the office. So, you know, got a job, learned even more, you know, things took off and, you know, here I am today, you know, with, uh, you know, a career that, 
that I can look back on and I feel proud of and, you know, doing a good job. So, so I just, I want to kind of stay here a little bit on to advance. I remember I graduated college in 2005 and I remember discovering to advanced, I want to say in 2004 and just being absolutely in awe. I mean, it was everything in my opinion, that was cool about design and that it was this heavily layered Photoshop sort of surrealism. Uh, you know, I didn't know what any of this stuff was called back then, but you kind of had like these photo manipulations and compositing and then all that combined with motion. It was so awesome. And, and I, there were actually some other firms that were doing amazing work as well. Um, I remember uh, Firstborn Interactive, the first time I saw their site and it kind of had like this typography that sort of like popped out and, and it was very sort of dynamic and, and just seeing all that and seeing the motion. And I mean, it was a fantastic time, in my opinion, in the industry. And, and I feel like people were really pushing what you could do with the web. Um, so, you know, just for folks, because we have a lot of, there's a lot of, I'm 34, and, and this is sort of my, I, that's, I love talking to people that are my age and older because I get to discuss things that are like, oh yeah, I remember that happened as opposed to when I talk to people long, younger and they're like, yeah, man, I remember I got on the internet and I signed up for Twitter. And I'm like, dude, we were around like before. <laughs> <laughs> any of this stuff. Um, but can you just explain like what Too Advanced was? And then also, I know that Eric Jordan was uh, a big inspiration for you. So maybe discuss his influence on you and then, you know, your that company's role in essentially pushing the interactive industry forward. Yeah. So, I mean, back then, I mean, there were no rules. So, you know, we were creating the rules. So, you know, now we have all these things, you know, it's like, oh, we need to do a UX about this, you know, and we need to, you know, this type of UX is better for flow of like, you know, there was none of that. It was, you know, hey, you know, make, we need a thing, make a thing. So, you know, client comes to you and says, hey, we need something like you figure out at that moment in time what the best thing, I mean, it's very similar pathway, but, you know, there just wasn't names for things or, you know, and there was no, like, you know, it's a wow factor, you know, it's like, you know, think of, you know, these marketing sites that were, you know, like a summer blockbuster versus like a serious drama, you know, of where, you know, a serious drama might have to, you know, follow certain rules or whatever, some summer blockbuster can be bells and whistles and all craziness. But yeah, so Eric, you know, to advance started as a personal portfolio for Eric, you know, let's say back in 2000, 2001, got him a bunch of recognition books, things took off. Um, he was he, he and I were working together at a company called Design Insights. I was hired to be his kind of like underling and learn from him. As his career was taking off, the you know he then realized you know through um, his former business partner that hey like we could do this own thing. Why are we working for another company? Like hey Eric, your career is taking off. It's been too advanced as like company, so it became a company. Um, as that grew, then you know I got hired in over there. Um, but yeah, I mean, even before that, you know, Eric was, you know, he was standing out, uh, as having like a very, you know, unique style. He was, you know, him and people like G Monk and other people were doing, you know, it's very kind of like futuristic, you know, kind of glitchy, uh, but very smooth animation type of thing, you know, stuff that you might see today. And, you know, you know, for the younger people, you'd see like in a, you know, a movie, you know, Iron Man heads up display, things like that, you know, so it's like having fun, being futuristic, not really, you know, taking things serious like they do today. Um, and, you know, like I said, just kind of having fun. So, you know, he parlayed that into a full-blown studio, which we then grew. I was lucky to be a part of. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a very fun, fun time at the inter of the internet where, you know, I mean, it literally was what kind of crazy ideas can we, you know, think of to promote products, you know, and, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, it was just us like thinking of those things where like, clients were coming to you and saying like, what ideas do you have? You know, it wasn't, you know, wasn't a lot like today where, you know, there's, 
10 examples of, you know, certain types of things. And a client might come and say like, I want this, just give me this. And this is my low expectation. It was, you know, very much like what can we do to push, push design and push technology and push the tools that we have. Um, you know, that was just, it was just a different mentality. Was there, was there like a, um, uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the web in general, um, is just kind of, excuse me, um, this sort of, was there like a punk rock sort of culture to it where, cause, cause in that era, I mean, advertise traditional advertising agencies, that was sort of their prime, right? I mean, there was these global firms and it was all about where you're, you have offices in Tokyo and wherever, um, <laughs> you know, like Madison Avenue is like the headquarters. Then I have these offices all over the world. Did you guys have to push in some of those circles to kind of get any type of, I don't know if the, what I'm looking for is like credibility or just like, you know, respect in, in the world of creativity? Um, I wouldn't say so much that. I would say that, you know, the work spoke for itself. So once people identified, I mean, today design and things are a lot more homogenous. Like it's kind of hard to tell who did what because it all looks the same a little bit. Like everyone, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's very much just like box, fill a box, you know, take, take a picture, put the picture in a box. Like don't do any, you know, people are losing that kind of like ability to Photoshop something into something unique. It's like get an asset from the client put asset in um you know so you know back then you, you stood apart from your style and so yeah there wasn't really any need for credibility because you know the work that eric had started to do was winning awards you know and then once i got involved i learned all the same things that you know mentalities he was learning you know or had figured out you know so the things i was doing was winning awards like it was very easy to kind of you know well, i can't say it was easy to stand out and be visible but it was like it was you know you, you stood out by the quality of what you were doing um, but, you know, the analogy, you know, because we're talking about sports here as well, that, that popped into my head was imagine a time, you know, like let's say in today's you know day and age, I think maybe the only thing that popped in my head, I'm a football guy, coach football, but, mm-hmm. you know, imagine the, you know, the, um, imagine the person that designed, you know, and came up with the, you know, the pistol you know, offense with a quarterback at depth, you know, like, you know, also being able to run and pass, like, you know, that's like a very, that's like a new spin on like, you know, where everybody else and, you know, in the NFL maybe is like traditional drop back, you know? So imagine a time where people were trying to figure out new ways of doing a forward pass or new ways to run plays, new way to block, you know, there wasn't like an established kind of like, you know, thing where it's like, Oh, this is how we run, you know, this is zone play or this is whatever, you know, imagine a time where, you know, everything was fresh and new and the solutions we were coming up to, you know, with solutions we were coming up for problems had never been done before, you know, whether it's a design solution, whether it's an animation solution, whether it was a technology solution, it was, you know, it's like clean slate, you know? So imagine if you could, you know, restart any sport, you know, without, with, with the minor, you know, minor rules and, you know, like an open, like that's what it was, you know, kind of trying to span between, you know, what, what I was doing or what we were doing and like sports, you know? Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I like that analogy too, because, uh, I'm actually reading this book. I'm college. I, I coach soccer and I played soccer and I played basketball being in Kentucky. Basketball is obviously got, you're just bred, uh, as that being a passion, but college football is actually probably one of my favorite sports. Um, and you know, obviously I'm, I'm in the sec, even though Kentucky never really does well in the sec. Um, <laughs> But I've been reading this book called A Season of Saturdays, A History of College Football in 14 Games. And it and, and it, it, it like starts off with sort of that era of the Ivy League founding of football and then when they sort of started integrating the pass. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because because before the past, like guys were literally getting murdered <laughs> and, dying, <laughs> and dying on the field uh, in some cases. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think that was that's a great analogy. So. You know, not to. Uh, I, I think maybe we touched on this. I can't remember if it was before we started or not. But you know, we're like I said, I'm I'm 34. Uh, I'm no spring chicken, <laughs> but I'm also I also don't consider myself old. But there are a lot of young people that listen to this show. Actually, like I'm talking high schoolers that are wanting to get into Photoshop and and getting into this stuff. But what's what's great about being uh, in this sort of age range is. Um, you know, you you specifically have been able to see a lot of change in this industry over your career. I mean, you've seen the introduction of CSS to the yep. prime, uh, the prime, and then later, you know, potentially death of Flash to mobile to now. It almost seems like a, a reintroduction of motion to the web with JavaScript and CSS animations and and After Effects and stuff like that. So I'm curious: are there any? Uh, key turning points, maybe that you can point to that that you remember might have been a point where you were just like, "Wow, I need to I need to make some changes in order to to stay relevant." Because you know, if you look at some of the the sort of guys that were from that were prime in the era of of Flash, like some of them didn't didn't keep going. You know, they sort of just disappeared. Yeah. It- so there's two things, and I hope I remember. So for me, my personality. I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down to whatever people want to want to learn and what they want to do. You know, there, I think there was something you said in there about like you know that made it sound like oh well, you have to like go and maybe like be relevant or you have to go like you know you, there's nothing you know in any career that says you have to be at like the tippy top of anything. Right. Um, you know, anybody can you know get into a career whether it's design whatsoever, and you know just survive and you know have a good career and all that stuff but i remember really early on um you know this was before anyone even knew who my name was but seeing that same phenomenon that you just described so you'd see somebody like go and win an award um for a website that, that they had done you know and you you know back then there was no twitter so you couldn't just follow them but then you'd like be like oh i wonder if that person or that studio is going to release something new that was really i really liked that one project they did and then you'd never hear anything about them and that that I don't know why I latched onto that early in my career, but at some point I remember noticing that and going like, man, if I, if I ever get any recognition for what I'm doing, I don't want to be that. Like I, you know, call it fear, call it insecurity, whatever you want to call it. There is that kind of, I want to keep, keep doing, I want to keep, you know, and and for me, it's not about being in in any sort of spotlight because I actually I'm an introvert and I don't like, you know, you could tell me, Oh, you, you do great work. And I'd be like, yeah, whatever. I, I, that thanks, but it doesn't. So it's not about that, but it's about like that rush of like doing, knowing inside that you did something really good and you like did something, you know, good for yourself. But I guess the point I'm making is, yeah, really early on, I did notice that some people would do something amazing, you know, revolutionary at the time and then never be heard of again. I knew that I didn't want to, you know, be that, but um, you know, on a higher career level, you know, my advice to people is, you know, find a niche that, you know, really excites you, you know, like, and learn everything you can about that, you know? So I remember, I mean, obviously we've talked a little bit about flash and motion, but yeah, I mean, I saw the same things, you know, that you were maybe five years before. And I immediately was like, I want to do that. You know, I mean, maybe today's age, people might see like movie, you know, I mentioned earlier, like Iron Man movie displays or, you know, the displays, you know, you see when you're watching a movie and like the movie Oblivion, whatever, like that's the type of stuff that, you know, would, you know, back then and entice me and be like, Oh gosh, I want to be doing that, you know, to the point that I would work really hard to figure out how to do all that stuff. 
Um, but you know, I think the other thing too is back back in the early two thousands, one of the litmus tests of you know whether or not you were good or not was winning awards. You know, and so there was awards like favorite website awards, and other things that you know at the time like that was how you knew. Like it wasn't maybe today like you might be you know internet famous because you have. 10,000 design followers or 20 or 100. I mean, now there's, there's people with tons and that that's how people gauged importance now. But back then it was like, oh, did have you ever won this award or have you won this award multiple times or were you featured in a flash book? You know, those were the things that, you know, if you were hungry to prove yourself either to yourself or to others, that those were the things that you strove for and tried to do because that's what everybody else is doing. You know, right. So. You know, I wonder how much of it has to do too with uh, when you when you kind of get a little fame and then you start getting bigger projects, and then all of a sudden that one project comes along that's like big pharma or whatever <laughs> that's probably boring as can be, but it pays like millions of dollars, and, and then you're just out, you're just done. <laughs> and, and that is completely true because you know the reality is is that a lot of the bigger projects they're more micromanaged. There's more money involved, so there's more stress, you know, from the people who are who you're talking to, um, you know, that need to have their tech community to get the work done, you know, all of that type of stuff. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it doesn't lead to necessarily cooler projects or more fun projects. It just leads to, you know, more money and whatever. So there's, this is kind of, for me, you know, also a constant balance between doing the projects that like mean something to you versus the projects that maybe pay the bills versus, you know, finding that magic middle where you're doing both. Right. You know, which there's an opportunity for that too. I'm not to say that, you know, only the big project, you know, the big projects are all boring and, you know, that's not true either. But yeah, I mean, some people fall on that too. You know, they, you know, and it's a phenomenon that happened at Too Advanced. Too Advanced as it was kind of in the, you know, the, the end of its, its um, you know, time was, yeah, they were taking on bigger, bigger projects for, you know, Activision and, you know, doing all sorts of stuff, all for the money and the quality and the, and the coolness and the, you know, the creativity went way down because all you're basically doing is, you know, Activision comes in and says, we want this, do it like this. You go, yes, sir. Right. And you just do it. And well, that, you know, is the end of, you know, your personal vision and, you know, your company vision and, you know, infusing what made you, you, you know, you're just taking orders and, you know, that's, you know, there's a time and place for that. But, you know, if your goal is to be, you know, creatively solve problems, and, uh, you know, come up with cool things, you know, it's not, a, not, not the best place to be. So, well, and you know, you mentioned another thing that, that this really bothers me about the modern state of the design industry is how you sort of have this, uh, I guess for lack of a better, um, analogy, this sort of Kardashian, like designer being famous for like, who knows what sort of thing. And then more people follow them because of that sort of scenario. Yeah. Whereas opposed at one point it was like, you got famous because of your work and it wasn't because you wrote some medium posts or like some thought piece or whatever. And, and now granted, I will say there's a, there's a place for that. And there's some people that I really admire who, you know, from, from a project perspective, I, I can't even point to something and say they physically made that, but they, but they managed it. One of those people being Julie Zhu, who works at Facebook. She's led the design team and grown it for years, writes awesome pieces about design but it's just it's just kind of interesting I, I go to dribble sometimes and i see these designers that have like all these followers and i look at their work and i'm like i mean this is good i guess uh you know it's good enough but it's just like what's so <laughs> different about it you know like uh, it's it's just right. weird to me that this this current world of of design that we're in 
Yeah, and you know it's tough. I mean, you know, there's more. You know, the reality is there's more designers now than there ever there's ever been. Obviously, it's going to be something that continues to grow on exponentially. You know, so it's you know if it was a small community back in the early 2000s, it's a bigger whatever you know how whatever size that's a bigger community now. So, you know, yeah, I mean, standing out or you know the 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 work that's being put out there, it's you know there's I don't know, it's just more people. You know, so it's. You know, people are fighting to kind of stand out and fighting to do things. And, you know, sometimes it isn't the best, you know, work that's being being recognized. It's the people who are most visible on a platform, you know. So if you're posting, I'm, you know, I'm not a big Dribble person. I've never gotten a single project from Dribble, and I, I don't do too well over there. I post stuff and, you know, it's like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't, just don't feel comfortable. A, I can't post work in progress when I'm on NDAs and B, you know, it's just not, not the place I've chosen to chosen to kind of hang my hat. But yeah, I mean, there's people who are posting like 10 things a day and maybe they're doing projects, you know, and work that they're posting. That's, you know, maybe they don't have a job, but they have the time to do like 10 completely different things versus, you know, somebody who's got a full-time job and can't, you know, post things all the time. Like, I guess the point I'm getting at is you could be really popular on dribble because you're maximizing what you're doing on dribble. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, yeah. that's great. In the same way that, you know, I think, you know, I made a comment in an interview for, you know, Adobe that, that went up a day or two ago. And this has been my mentality, too, is, you know, you're only as good as your last project. So my drive has always been to, you know, if I whatever my project is, I, I put my heart and soul into it, you know, because I don't know at one point I am going to be obsolete and people aren't going to know who I am. And the reason why I say this is because, yeah, there's there's now a point where, you know, people are, you know, very much about what's my last tweet, what's my last kind of social like presence, you know, and it's, it has left a little bit about the, you know, the work. I mean, everybody at some point has to do good work to get to some level of notoriety. Right. But then at some point, you know, it's like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm now just kind of like a, I'm not really posting any work anymore, but I'm, you know, I'm saying the perfect things and the perfect bite-sized quotes on Twitter or I'm, you know, doing like these, you know, things on Dribbble that's just this icon, this one little singular thing from an otherwise bad project. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's wherever you can survive and wherever you can get notoriety, I'm not not pooping on anybody's game. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely a different different thing. But I think, too, I mean, it's, it's harder in today's, you know, I grew up, I cut my teeth in this industry in the time where if you wanted to do anything cool, like you had to do it all yourself. So even to this day, you know, I'm a designer, I'm an animator, I'm a developer. Uh, you know, I do WebGL. Like I do all of these things. I don't just do design, you know, so I'm not sitting here in Photoshop all day long. I'm sitting here doing Photoshop for a project, which I then cut up, which I then, you know, animate and doing, you know, crazy WebGL experiences. Like I'm doing all these things because that's for me how I learned how to control my own creative destiny. Well, there are people that are, you know, in today's, you know, day, they're only just doing one specific thing, you know, so they're only designing icons or they're only, you know, doing UIs or they're, you know, whatever. And so, in that yes, case, you know, you, see, you, to, for, for me, I feel like I, that to me feels like kind of just working in a factory. Like not to not to kind of crap on people that have to do that to make a living, right? That's you know you got to do what you have to do to support yourself and your family. But to me, it's like if you go to work every day and all you do is make this one thing over and over and over and over and over. To me, it's, it kind of really aligns with like no different than basically going to. Like here where I live, Toyota has a factory here and everybody wants to work there. And you go there and these people get these sort of like injuries because it's like this repetitive movement over and over and yeah, over and I over. Mean, 
I mean, th- there, there's total truth to that. I think the thing that I would combat it though and say is like, you know, you know, I, I said it went, you know, that in my in my time, like, you know, the more you knew, the you know, the, the, the kind of the more you could kind of handle. But you know, I always tell people that it, it's it's not even so much about feeling like a factory thing. It's I I always say that. Hey, at the end of the day, I'm a creative. I consider myself a creative person, and I have I've I've taken the time to grow these skills slowly over time. I want to have as much fun as I possibly can, and for me, having the most fun means having the most. You know, and hopefully this doesn't come across in some sort of sadistic. You know, I need to control everything my my you know game, but it's like I want to have as much fun as I can on all aspects of a project whether that's design, whether that's animation, whether it's building, to me, it's all fun. And so I want to do as much as I can because that, that to me is what's going to stop me from burning out and is going to stop me from, you know, being bored. You know, I, I do, I have conversations with several friends of mine and, you know, we're, we're you know, I'm 43 and let's say they're all kind of in their early forties and they're like, oh, I think I want to change my career. I think I, you know, one, one friend is, oh, I think I want to, you know, fix and build up cars and other, you know, if I, you know, it's just, it's, it's this weird phenomenon. And ironically, those, the people that I have in mind right now are very singular in what they do. Like they just do design, you know, or maybe in the past they've done other things, but it's like, like they're like, you know, very singular in what they do. And yeah, I mean, that, that to me would, I mean, you know, it's nothing against them, but I, I would get bored doing that. You know, if all I was doing was, you know, just design. And, you know, at some point you do in your career have to focus. I mean, so it's, you know, the Toyota mentality, like, I agree with that, but there's also like, you know, you do need to dedicate several years in a row of, you know, in my mind of like singular something, you know, so if you're going to be a good designer, like you do need to make a push of doing just design as a focus for a couple of years to hopefully get really good. You know, but at some point, once you've got that under your belt, you know, maybe pivot to, you know, animation and then focus on that in conjunction with keeping your Photoshop skills and your design skills. But, you know, to kind of, like I said, it's, to me, it's it's not about Toyota. It's not about, it's about just having fun. Like, it's it's fun. And I, I, I do see a lot of people, you know, there's this, you know, it, it was more last year that this was happening, but, you know, designers arguing, should designers, you know, also do front end? Should they also be a builder? You know, and half the people would say, no, that's stupid. I, you're, <laughs> you're, you're not going to be a good designer then. And the, the other half are, you know, like me or like, do it. Like you're going to, you know, to, to me, the, the benefits are is also you walk into a meeting and when that front end engineer goes like, oh, we can't do this, you know, or, oh, we don't have time to do this. You go, fine, I'll do it. Like, yeah, I'll, 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 you know, and that's always been my mentality. If I really want to infuse some bit of creativity in something like I, I need to be the one to do it, you know, and it's not like a, you know, I don't need help type of mentality. It's like, a, well, fine, like, I'll just do it. Like, I'll, I'll put my own time into it, you know. So to me, it's just all more fun. You know, it's the more, you know, the more you can control and the more you can contribute. And, you know, so. You know, for me, that's why, you know, in my projects, like I like to say, like, hey, I did all these things, you know, it's like, and there were, you know, even in today and even at Too Advanced, like I would be just given a project, for example, and everything would live and die with me. So, you know, I would be the one talking with the client directly. So I would be the project manager. Then I would go and design it. Then I would go and build it. Then I would be the one who launched it. And, you know, you walk away and you go, oh, I did all of that, you know, and it was very minimal little to no assistance from anybody else like that's that's a rush like that's that's empowering like that's a lot of fun um and and it's not about not sharing it's it's like i'm just having a lot of fun and i can you know i can do all of these things i i love that mentality i'm a person of many interests myself um and and honestly 
uh, you know, I, I look at you and I admire what you do as far as like obviously your design and your you know your career and f- as far as creativity. But you also, like myself, do the dad thing. You also do the coach thing at a, at a super high level. Uh, whereas like I'm coaching like youth, right? But um, <laughs> I uh, and and you know, with me like this podcast, it's a side project for me. I started this when I was 30, but my you know the way that I make money and to feed my family is through my own design studio. Um, I'm, I have another, you know, this other interest in soccer where I'm pursuing sort of advanced licenses from us soccer. Uh, before this, I was always involved in multiple things like organizations, sort of like AIGA type organizations and stuff. So from a, from a selfish perspective, a selfish question, I guess that I want to ask you, uh, one thing I've always tend to do though, is sometimes I'll just ask my wife, like, why do I do this? Why do I sort of like spread myself so thin and get involved in all these things? Why can't I just like only focus on this one thing. So my, my question is, how do you reconcile all these things that you do as far as like, you know, not only with time itself, but with mastering these things um, and, and with family duties and stuff like that? Uh, the knee-jerk reaction that came to my mind is, you know, I don't like wasting time. So everything that I do, I want to be as efficient as I can. And the more efficient I get at things that I do, the more time reopens up. Um, so, you know, that's one, that's like how I do all of this, but, you know, to, to go back a little bit though, I do it just because they were things that I built up over time, you know? So it's, you know, for example, like the, the coaching and the football, I mean, that was something that I, you know, I did after college before I got into this career. So that was something that I started doing and then I've just kind of continued doing. And, you know, earlier on in my career, it was, you know, football practice obviously happens at two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon. So, you know, how does that work in a professional setting? Well, it meant that I would get up and, you know, get to work at six or seven in the morning so that I worked my eight hours so that I could walk out the door to go and coach the other thing, you know. So, um, but the, the more efficient you get, I would get as a designer, developer, all these things meant that, you know, whatever projects I'm working on, I could get them done faster, uh, which, you know, then opens up the learning of other skills and things like yeah. There's uh, there's a, a video by uh, what's the, the one of the MythBusters guy. I think the first name is Jamie or whatever. He's he's he talked at uh, one of the makers fairs in San Francisco and he talks about his pr- creative process of when he sits down to do like a prop for like a movie or things like that. You know the you know his mind is always constantly going through like all the steps. Like hey, I'm cutting up this one piece. You know for this like prop. You know, you know, what's, you know, as I'm doing this, what are the things that might, you know, affect me later on? Like, how can I be more efficient than this? Um, you know, it, it's, it's that type of mentality that I take with me in all aspects of my life where, you know, I'm curious as to ways of working faster, working more efficient, you know, doing things, you know, so that, you know, either I have more time to go and hang with my family or I can learn new skills or, you know, when a creative idea for a side project, you know, like a book comes up that I have the bandwidth to do that, you know, it's just, you know, I think it's a mentality that, you know, some people have or you can develop, I mean, for sure, but you definitely just want to, you know, you protect protect your time, you know, and, uh, you know, this is now off in another direction, but, you know, but also being very aware of how other people maybe influence you, you know, on projects where it's, whether it's like a client coming in with the last second, you know, random idea, project manager, you know, needing you to jump on something, you know, right at 1237 on an afternoon when you're in the middle of doing something and be, having the ability to say, 
no, I will get to that at two o'clock, not right the second when you need it because, you know, them asking you for something would interrupt your, you know, your flow on something. Um, you know, there's a bunch of ways of doing it, but, uh, you know, I, I'm just a curious person and I like to, you know, I like to be curious. I like being around other people who are, you know, doing the things that I'm doing, meaning like living their lives and being alive and what they're doing, you know, I mean, you know, and the way you described, you know, all the things that you have going on, like I was nodding my head and going like, yeah, like you're the type of person that like I would want to be around, you know, and seeing, you know, like I, I get inspired by seeing people who are out there doing doing things that aren't of the norm but are within people's passions, you know. So I've got like a, you know, former teammate of mine from high school who is a, um, you know, financial advisor, very high level of stuff, and he does like triathlons and he coaches his son's football team. I've got another uh, friend from high school who high level athlete when, you know, scholarship for wrestling to University of New Mexico. He also, he's, he's deaf in one ear, but he picked up how to be a drummer and he's now a drummer in a band and he writes, uh, he was a vice principal at a school and in his free time he would write uh, screenplays for movies and he's now had several of his screenplays turned into movies and now he's writing full time and he's teaching at Chapman University first year screen screenwriter. So, you know, being passionate about things and, you know, living for things like that, that's somehow that's just a part of me, you know? Yeah. Me personally, I'm really drawn to people that do these multiple things. Like even I listen to so many different, I just consume a lot of stuff from an educational perspective, especially as far as creativity and business is concerned. Um, and there's, there's, there are people in the 3d industry that like, I don't do any 3d, right? And it's cool. It's, I have an interest in it and maybe one day I'll go down that path, but I'll listen to them and find that we read the same books or, or like, Hey, they're running their own studio. And then they decided to start this little side gig thing. And anytime I see any articles about side projects, I tend to always read them because for me, it's like, there's someone that sort of understands me as a person. They can't just right. go all in, you know, like Steve jobs, for example, how this guy went all in for basically his whole life. Right. And to me, yeah. it's just, it's crazy. And uh, he's known for it. And obviously he, he, you know, but uh, honestly, I mean, let's be honest at the same time, like he wasn't a great father, you know, like he, when I read his book and he was like, I'm writing this book. So my children will know me. <laughs> I was like, this, uh, this is, you know, could essentially be considered a failed life. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, that you touch upon. I mean, it's funny you were, as you were about to say what you said, I was going through in my mind that, you know, the comment I would make is that, Hey, you know, not everybody, you know, has all you know it's all peaches and you know unicorns and puppy dogs you know like when you take on too many things or you do too many side projects or you know yeah it's it's not all perfect and there's a lot of failure by a lot of people and you don't hear about that you know you only hear maybe about the successes but yeah when you you know you are too invested in things it is very easy to you know let a lot of other things you know go to the side you know and that was i mean that that was something that almost happened to me too at the, at the middle of the two advanced thing you know where yeah i was working way too much and i was way too my head was too far up my butt about you know awards and doing work and all that stuff you know to the point that yeah it almost you know ruined my marriage and and i had to reset and i had to figure out how to take all those optimization things that i just talked about and reapply it to myself so that i had all this time you know opened up for my family again um that i you know didn't realize that i needed to you know invest in because you know at the time you know i was uh 
our oldest daughter was probably four or five. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a transition, you know, basically when, you know, I started my career, wasn't married, didn't have kids, then you get married and, uh, you know, then you have kids. So, you know, the, the, the time that needed to be allocated to wife and kids started to grow and, you know, you just have to be able to adapt with that, you know, so it wasn't like something that I was doing wrong for like 10 years. It was more just like something where it was like, Oh gosh, like, yeah, I, we can't be, I can't be working as much anymore, you know, because, you know, I do need to invest more time in, in my you know family and relationships. But, you know, I think that you know, this is a little bit, it's, it's, it's on topic, but it's a side, but, you know, when you, you're a first time parent and husband, you know, as a, as a male, like for me, the thing that I always resonated with was like, Oh, I need to provide. Right. If I'm, if I'm working really hard and making a lot of money, like, I'm providing and that's like my job, like sweet. And you know, that works for the first couple of years of a marriage, you know, and then you get the little shoulder tap and it's like, Hey, we're not really like, you know, hanging out as much as we used to. And you know, then the kids come and then it becomes really important, you know? So at some point you have to turn off a little bit of that, like, Hey, I've, I've done the work to be a provider and now that stuff's a little bit on autopilot and I need to kind of like, you know, dial it back. So little bit of a side topic but it's it, it's it's on topic it's i think it's it's great because it, it is an alignment because i think essentially what what you're getting at here that and this can be paraphrased really for anybody people that don't have kids or whatever is that our time is super valuable and i think a lot of people undervalue their time and there's a there's a quote that i always remember and i often state this and, and i can't properly attribute it because i can't remember where i heard it <laughs> just because i listen to so much stuff but it's essentially um time is our only uh, non-renewable resource, right? Like money is renewable. You can make more money. It's infinite. You know, a lot of people don't, there's a lot of people that don't necessarily believe that. That obviously takes an entrepreneurial mindset, but time, it's gone, man. And for me, I love being to go to every one of my son's soccer practices, club soccer practices, to really go that journey with him and to navigate that journey in a way that's like, hey, this is your journey. This is not my journey. I just want to be here to watch, right? And um, and spend time, and, and I love being able to, so my wife doesn't, she, she stays home with, I've been fortunate enough to have her be able to stay home with our kids, which is great for her because her degree was in early childhood education. So she's essentially still working in that <laughs> um, nice. in, in a sense uh, with, with the kids. But I, you know, I'm the type of person where, Hey, I want to pick up today and just go to, I live about, I live in uh, outside of Lexington, Kentucky. We live on like four acres way out in the country. So my internet's usually pretty crappy, but um, it's a sacrifice I make to be able to walk outside and, and my son, <laughs> You know, I'll wake up in the morning, my sons walk outside and like go pee off the deck. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there's little things like that that are that are fun, but um, I'm just the type type of person that I want to pick up one day and say, hey, you know what? Let's go to Cincinnati, which is about an hour and a half from me, and let's go to the zoo or let's go do these things. And and I think that there might be a generational shift in in people today that are starting to value their time a little more, and they saw their parents go and work. You know, my dad, love him to death, worked his butt off in a factory for years so that I could go to college and do what I did. And I'm very blessed to be able to have done that. Um, and I, and honestly living where I live, I go to the, you know, I go to the, like the convenience store in the morning and I see these farmers in this, you know, getting their coffee and then they're going to work in this massive heat. Right. So it helps. It gives me perspective on like a rough day and graphic design is really not that rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, no. So what I was what I was what I was kind of getting at is I think that's a good story and, and it's good paraphrasing and saying that like our time is valuable. Uh, shift, shifting paths a little bit, we were talking about Dribble and Behance earlier, and there's self promotion is obviously important, and you discuss it in your book, which I want to get into shortly. Um, but there there is kind of this trap of of make you look at the same everyone goes to the same inspiration so everyone goes to behance everyone goes to dribble everyone goes to design inspiration or wherever and then so the, a lot of the stuff starts to look the same right i'm 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 guilty of it too like i'm not even trying to be higher than other people um how do you avoid this sort of trap of of this sort of samey samey and either consciously or, or, or we were subconsciously inspired as well. Well, I mean, I think for me, you know, one of the things that I've always said is, you know, once you've figured out your way of handling things, you know, it's very like uplifting kind of thing. There was a, a pivotal moment early, early in my career. This was before I was even what I would consider like an okay designer. I mean, this is like when I was making that transition, you know, so I started off my career as, you know, it was easier to learn the front end side. So I had my first few years, you know, when I was coaching, doing stuff, it was all front end. And then at some point I said, I want to be a designer. So I started to pick up the design thing, but this very, you know, kind of pivotal thing in my career where I, one of my, my best friends, he has an art degree from, um, university photography as well. Like, you know, I just always look to him. This is like right before, you know, too advanced and all that stuff. I just looked to him for, you know, all of my like inspiration and things. And there, you know, would come a time as I was, you know, developing as a designer where I would ask him his opinion. Hey, what do you think about this? And he'd, be, he'd rip it apart just like, like he should have. It was horrible stuff at the time. But I remember not liking that and going like, ah, like, you know, I, I need to, you know, I have this moment where I was like, I need to stop asking for his opinion because every time he gives me, he gives me great feedback, but it's not like he's, you know, at the point where my skill level started upgrading, it became less about the technique and the skill that I was using. And it became more of like a difference between styles and opinions and viewpoints right. of the world. And so I remember at some point being like, okay, I'm no longer going to show him any work. And it, it, it translated out, you know, back then there was a lot less communication between designers, you know, so it, it kind of ended up being like, I'm not going to show anybody anything, you know, so, you know, until it launched, you know, so to speak. So like my first, you know, my first kind of big portfolio release, like, it, you know, it, it had no influence from any other people. It had no influence from any you know, design communities, like anything like that. And it stood, stood alone. So to me, that was a, you know, an early lesson is like, you know, my viewpoint is my viewpoint and it's a unique viewpoint because I've worked hard to develop it as a unique viewpoint. So, you know, from very early in my career, I've tried my best to not, not be influenced too heavily by extraneous sources, you know? So it's like, you know, favorite website awards. I, I don't go there that often. It's not because I don't like seeing awesome work, but because, you know, there's a part of me that doesn't want to see what other people are doing. I don't really go to dribble. I, you know, when I'm coming up with something, you know, unless I'm stuck on like a problem solving solution and I want to go see, you know, maybe how somebody has handled some sort of like cool drop down technique. Like I, I don't go to dribble on a daily basis to see how people are like doing things and, and doing that stuff. And it's, it's partly strategical and it's partly like, I just don't have time for that. Like I'm, I'm in, I'm busy building and designing things for clients. You know, I don't, I don't have time to go and and go out and do those things. And I have a healthy view of what I think the problem solutions to problems should be. So that's how I avoid it. You know, I'm, 
it might work out great. It might be bad. You know, you might look at somebody might come and look at my stuff, you know, my latest stuff in the past couple of years and be like, Oh, this is, this is crap. This is, you know, it's like old style or it's two layered, you know, we need to have everything be flat and it should be boxes. Why, why, (laughs) why does, you know, this have this like, and that's fine too. Like, you know, art and design, you know, it's like music, you know, it's like the, you know, one person's, you know, awesome is another person's, bad you know I, right. I listen to all types of music you know country to metal to whatever but you know i'm in a metal mode i'm jamming a metal like my wife doesn't listen to that stuff you know so she she can't even understand how it's music you know and so right. you know i once again like at a very you know early kind of part of my career like i you know it, it doesn't it doesn't do you any good to show somebody something and be like what do you think because the minute you say something like that you're gonna you should be prepared for someone to say i don't like the color blue Right. When your whole design right. is sounded off the color blue, you know, or like, <laughs> oh, I really like yellow. Like, you know, those are the trivial things that drive us nuts. But, you know, so, yeah, I just, I just kind of try and stay out of looking at purposefully looking at what other people are doing. You know, does stuff come up in my Twitter feed, you know, of things people have done? Do I sometimes click on it? Yeah. You know, I mean, it happens, you know, so I'm not like living in a bubble and, you know, but, um, you know, trends, trends in some way are great to be a part of, but you know, it's, it's, it's much more, it's much easier to be the one setting trends and, or doing your own thing. And that's, that's a message that I give to a lot of people too, is you, you need to be unique. You know, everyone works hard in this industry, everyone, you know, so working hard isn't just a solution to the problem. Like, you know, and copying what everybody else is doing isn't going to get you to stand out, you know? So if you have a desire to, you know, do some of the things I've done, which are like work from home, make really good money for your family, control your own destiny, you know, all of these things like you need to kind of pivot maybe towards doing, being more unique and doing things that don't look like everybody else. If your goal is to, you know, work at Facebook, uh, live in the Bay area and that's your inspiration. Well, great. You know, then copy what Facebook does. Like, you know, do all that, you know, learn how their style is and get a job at Facebook. You know, it's, you know, really kind of comes down to what you, what your end game is, you know, or your current inspiration is and what you want to do with your life and career. Right. You know, it's funny uh, when you talk about that mentality of if that's where you want to work, look at the stuff they're making and then go do that. And there's a, there's a lot of people in this world that listen to this show that want to go work at like Nike. And I'll get that a lot of times from people. And it's like, I want to work at Nike. I want to work at Nike. And, and, and they think that they're making work that looks like what Nike makes, but it's not at all. And, and I'm like, do you even look at the work that Nike does? Because the work that you're doing is the same stuff everyone else is doing in the world of college football or whatever. Uh, and Nike's doing illustrations, you know, like <laughs> Nike's hiring. They're, they're not trying to make things that look like what everybody in, you know, the BCS or whatever is doing. They're trying to do different stuff. So it's it's kind of interesting those types of things. Um, so I've heard you mention before, and you actually you mentioned it on this show actually earlier. Uh, you're you're a pretty introverted person, um, and but I've heard you mention before also. I guess in an interview or something. I do research on everyone before I do these, so it's I essentially stalk everyone to, nice. <laughs> to know as much as I can about <laughs> them. Um, but but that's you're 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 often insecure in your work. Um, but you know you've you've won numerous awards from very high profile entities in the world of design. Uh, you know, you worked at a legendary interactive design firm, coached high-level high school football. So I'm curious, for, uh, how do you push through that introverted personality to excel in these endeavors? And, and do you think that you'll ever really be satisfied? Is that like a quality that just doesn't exist? 
Yeah. So two things. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely an introvert. I'm 50-50 though. So there's a part of me that's extrovert, but then there's the 50% that's like, you know, doesn't need to, you what, know. What's your, have you done the Myers-Briggs? What is your, your thing? I don't know specifically. I feel like I did do that. And this is, you know, when I close my mind and think about it, this is something I remember doing in high school, but you know, yeah, I, I was like 50% left brain 50% right brain so 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 i'm in you, you might be what i am i'm an enfp which is i am an, an an essentially i can't remember if it's the vice versa of this or whatever but i am an extroverted introvert interesting yeah i mean i, I link me to after this is over and i'll i'll go and do it but you know it's, to me it's always been interesting because it, it's parlayed into my career the introvert extrovert the left brain, right brain, you know, so now I'm also a designer and I'm a developer. And I, you know, in college, my first year, I was going to be an aeronautical engineer, which I think would have been, you know, in my opinion, after the fact would have been creative, but technical, you know, anyways, like I, you know, it, I just wanted to say like, I'm not full blown introvert, but yeah, I'm, I'm to myself and I'm quiet, but yeah, the, the doubt and the insecurity, I mean, to me is something that, you know, I've just had since I was a kid, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I don't know, it's just always been there, you know, I mean, this is kind of a side example, but I remember being like, you know, 10 years old, my mom would be like, hey, it's your birthday coming up, you want to have people over? And I'd be like, no, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't need to have a party, like, I'm, I'm good, let's just, like, hang out or just jump in the pool, you know, so, like, there's the introvert side, but, you know, how that parlays into my work is that, yeah, I mean, like, I think every, all of us, you know, this, it's the grass is always greener phenomenon, but, you know, to our work, like nothing that I've ever done to me. I mean, there's things I'm proud of, no doubt, you know, but, you know, the, the problem in our industry is it's, it's a moving target of design style and trends that are always like changing, you know, so it's very easy to look back at something that you were once proud of and be like, oh, that's crap. Oh my gosh. Like, how could I ever like, you know, that was that was bad, you know, but, uh, you know, to me, I, I look at the part of my personality that never is satisfied and I say, Hey, you know, this may be a negative thing. I don't know, but it's the thing that's going to keep me longevity in what I do. And it's going to keep me hungry. And it's what combats what we talked about earlier about like not being one of those people that was going to fall off the face of the earth and just never be heard of again mm -hmm. or switch, switch careers after, you know, 15, 20 years. I mean, to me, like, I look at this and go like, this is what I was, you know, God intended for me to do. You know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where, you know, I was meant to make my mark. And I'm happy with that. That's great. So, you know, I, I don't look at, you know, insecurity as necessarily a bad thing because I feel like I've got a good, healthy balance of like, hey, you know, reality, which which is basically like, hey, every project is, a, and is an amazing and beautiful and crazy microcosm of timing, budget you know, style at the time, limitations, you know, so I'm, I'm very aware that, you know, I might not be happy with something. It's like at the end of the day, all projects and all projects are confined to certain logistical things that I have no control over. And, uh, you know, so if something goes up that I'm not so completely happy with, I let that fuel me as like, okay, well, I don't want to, the next one needs to be really good because, you know, as I said before, you're only as good as your last project. And, it, and that's not something that I say like where I'm, I'm sitting there, being mindful of what everyone else thinks like that's my internal thing like you know like it's it's you know i i often you know I've, I've said in the past you know that some of the projects that i've worked on have been really high profile and i don't say that to be cocky but i say that because it leads down a pathway of like the only way i've ever been able to combat the stress and anxiety which might result from that is i just pretend that everything that i'm doing is only for me 
I, I don't, you know, if I launch a project for Blizzard, if I launch a project for, you know, Ford, whatever it may be, like, I don't, I don't look at it like there's potentially thousands or hundreds of thousands or, you know, in some cases, millions of people looking at something. I don't, I don't look at it like that. I pretend no one's looking at it. I pretend it's just for me. And that's been my way of, you know, it, it's an internal struggle. It's not the pressure of like, oh, what if, you know, people don't like this or what if, like, it doesn't really matter. It's, you know, it's an internal thing for me of, you know, whether or not I'm happy with it, you know, and whether it, you know, matched the requirements of did I launch it on time, did it meet all the requirements, you know, all of those types of, you know, kind of internal things that, uh, you know, every project's different, but sometimes you're happy with on one piece and unhappy about something else or, you know, it's, it's that constant dance, you know, that's, you know, stressful, but it's also kind of fun in a way too. Right. I like it. I, I tend to have this, uh, I tend to have this theory that, Creative people are, are most creative people have this uh, this mentality where everything you made last year is just it's it sucks. Uh, and, and honestly, I think that if you don't, you're you're you probably have like some like a serious bout of like narcissism or something. Because you know this is this if you look at even masters at what they do, Michelangelo had I think it was him who wrote like a letter to his brother talking about how he he wanted to kill himself because everything he'd done in his life creatively was a failure. And it's like <laughs> this dude painted the Sistine Chapel, you know, like this right. this is insane. Um so so I think that everybody it, it's probably healthy to deal with that. And honestly, I just feel like that creativity in general, like a successful creative life is the person that keeps making things essentially until their their dying day. It's just a journey to push through to the next project <laughs> because so many people quit. You know, they can't take the depression of of making something and then that thing sucking or putting that art into the world and and uh, I, even making this podcast. I was nervous making this podcast. Like, who am I to talk to anybody? Right? Sure. Um, who am I to put my voice? I'm just this dude over here in Kentucky that's like you know surrounded by. Like farmers and whatever. <laughs> I mean, I have no credit at all. <laughs> who, who am I to write a you know a book that you know proclaims to you know give insight? I, I trust you. It, it, everyone goes through it, and you know the, the reality is is not everyone is cut out for certain things. You know, so you know the fact that you've got longevity doing four years of a podcast versus someone who maybe did like one or two, like that that's fine. It just means that wasn't you know something they were either passionate enough about or meant to do and that's fine too you know it's uh you know there's no no right or wrong right so you mentioned the book and and now i definitely want to talk about the book it's called launch it and the subtitle is 300 plus things i've learned as a designer developer and creative director a digital hand or a handbook for digital creatives um it's fantastic i read it uh i encourage everyone here to read it there are so many tweetable nuggets in there. I've, I've actually posted some myself. Uh, for you, Shane, I'm curious, where did that inspiration come from for writing a book? And then those actual pieces of wisdom, was that something that you had sort of cataloged over the years or, or, or how did you compose all of that? So, you know, I, I put a little paragraph or two in the beginning of like the preface or whatever you call it of the book to describe this story because I, I wanted people to know that like I didn't, you know, sit down on some high horse like with the intent of like writing something, you know, this wasn't like these little things that, you know, a lot of the things are in there, 
you know, it might have been said by somebody else in some different way, like, you know, whatever. But the, the story is basically was we were on vacation. You know, this is like seven years ago now. Uh, family vacation, Santa Cruz, California. We were in a bookstore getting magazines and books for the week, you know, as we were hanging out at the beach and doing all that stuff. And you know, I'm at the checkout lane buying, you know, everyone's books and magazines for the wife and kids and myself. And you know, I'm paying for the paying for what we had we were getting. I look down and there's like a little side table. These are in Santa Cruz, you know, there was, I don't know if it's still there, but like, you know, it's like more of like a mom and pop. So it wasn't borders that are B Dalton, you know, it was like a, you know, home curated, you know, very big bookstore. I look down and here's this old like book on a side table and it says 101 things I learned in culinary school. And I, I remember just having like a moment where I looked and I was like, oh, cool. And then all of a sudden it kind of struck me. I, you know, I realized that, you know, over the course of my career, I'd either been interviewed, I had, you know, people that were under me when I was a creative director asking for advice. I would get emails and, you know, in the time when, you know, my personal portfolio was popular, people email me, how did you, you know, get to where, all of those types of questions. And I realized like, oh, I probably have 101 things, like things I've responded to people. So, you know, I went back after that vacation and just, you know, kind of went through emails. You know, there was really no Twitter per se at the time, so I couldn't go back through and, you know, look through tweets. But it was like emails, it was interviews, you know, IM conversations. I mean, I literally went back through, you know, instant messenger conversations and just, you know, tried to, you know, collate, you know, a bunch of things that, you know, I had either said or kind of done. And, you know, it, it took a long time. It was very stressful, you know, um, just even the, the organization of like, okay, what are similar quotes, you know, one versus the other, what are similar bits of advice, you know, re-editing little bits of what I'd said, you know, but that's, that's where it came from. It was just like all stuff I had already told people, you know, and I just organized it, you know, and it, it was actually like 400 and something or whatever. And then it's like, you know, removed duplicates and things that were similar. It kind of, you know, got down, but you know, that's where the, the book came from and you know it also came from just like the mentality of you know being a coach that you know it's like i don't want to i'm not the type of person that's going to sit there and you know on a high horse tell you this is exactly how to do your life but you know my mentality as a coach and you know betterment to the team and like i need to say things because it, you know it, it might you know help the team win more games like you know so those two things you know the coaching but also the hey here's this 101 things i learned in culinary school and i had all the things you know, it made the, the mental process of the introvert putting out a book that, you know, proclaims to tell other people career advice, like the connection for me was like, oh, well, I may not emotionally want to do it, but I do kind of emotionally want to do it as a coach. So, you know, that's where it came from, you know, innocent, nothing, nothing where I, you know, on a high horse, I, you know, felt like I needed to tell people exactly what everybody's like, Hey, I've got this stuff. Like, why not? You know? And it, it was a lot of anxiety, as you kind of mentioned in another aspect, but a lot of anxiety of putting something together. Why am I doing this? Why, you know, whatever, I don't know how to self publish a book. How do you lay out these things? Learn teaching yourself in design. How do you get this stuff on Amazon? Oh my gosh. Like, is this the right decision? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And to have something out there, like there was, it was an interesting long road, you know, of like five years, probably. Um, wow. before it finally got to the final thing because it's, you know it's it's like anything else you know when you're when you're in the active battle of doing something when you hit a wall sometimes you give up and you go like oh well i've got this other work project i'm going to just do this and then you know the book would sit for a couple of months you know so it wasn't until i you know got a, a basically a month of free time this last december where i was like you know what I didn't take on any projects for december so i opened up christmas for whatever i'm, I'm just going to focus on getting this thing out you know so 
Wow. So, so just for listeners, this book is split into sections. You have motivation and work ethic, growth and mastery, be unique and stand out, uh, uh, career clients, freelance, and work-life balance. Shane, one thing I noticed, uh, and I don't know if this was intentional or if this was subconscious, but it, the book really has an entrepreneurial bend to it. And so I'm curious, I mean, you worked in an agency for 10 years, but even you yourself, just talking to you, 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 you sort of have these entrepreneurial undertones where it's like, I'm just going to go learn it. I'm going to go do it. Like, where did that come from? Is that like a personality thing? Or did you always have this idea to run your own studio one day? Um, kind of a little bit of what, you know, I said earlier, you know, there's a part of it that's like, I just want to do as, have as much fun as I can. Like, why would I, why would I let someone else have the fun of doing animation or build out or whatever when I could learn that? Like I have, you know, rather than tell them how to do it, like, why don't I do it? So that's always kind of been there, but I wouldn't, you know, use the word entrepreneur. And I, I definitely would have, you know, if, if you would have asked me, 10 years ago when I was still at Too Advanced and Too Advanced was still around, like, hey, would you ever, you know, go off and do freelance? Would you ever do, like, I would have said, like, no, I'm happy. I'm being paid. Like, I'm, you know, doing high-level things. Like, that doesn't interest me at all. Uh, it wasn't until Too Advanced was started its downward spiral. And basically, I also had two friends, um, Dan Petty and Dan Mall, come to me, you know, and just in general conversations and, you know, as I was expressing my unhappiness. And they're like, you can you can do freelance, you could, you know, be your own, you know, boss, like, you know, those two people giving me the confidence to be like, Shane, like, you've got this, like, of all the people we know, like, you're organized, you can do all these, like, you should do all this stuff, you know, they really helped push me past, you know, and over the, the edge, mentally and emotionally, and then paired with also the fact, so like, about five years into two advance, and this is like bringing the story full full circle, but you know, at those point where I was like, you know, struggling with how much time to devote to family and wife, my wife basically picked us up and moved us to another city where she was originally from Fresno, California, which was four and a half hours away from two advance. So for five years, I worked remote. And you know, the first year or two was really rough. It was really crazy. But what I learned from that was, hey, if I'm supposed to work eight hours a day, but I'm accomplishing all of my projects and tasks by 2 p.m., I don't get paid any more money to like work longer hours and there's no need. So, you know, I started to kind of cultivate what I would consider this entrepreneurial kind of like deliver a thing. You know, you need a thing, I deliver a thing, and it doesn't, you don't need to know how long it took me to do the thing. Um, you know, so I think that's like the final component, you know, that I finally uh, realized like, oh, okay, like I can, you know, I can do these things, you know, in odd hours or, you know, less hours or put more hours in if I want to, you know, to me, like when you said entrepreneur, that's what I like, you know, it's like, oh, like, you know, the, you know, the running of your own self as like a business, whether you are an internal full-time person, like your time is still, time and money is still, you're still a business if you work for a studio, but, you know, it's a little bit easier of a, of a translation if you, you know, you say you're a freelancer and you're freelance because obviously, your time is your money and your business and you know, all oh, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And honestly, I mean, I think entrepreneur has sort of been co-opted by the whole Silicon Valley. Uh, you're raising <laughs> money and all this stuff. I still see entrepreneur as like the, the, the dude down the road that like mows lawns. <laughs> you know what sure. I'm saying? Like somebody that goes and starts your thing. Um, number 29 in the book, every project has the potential to change your career for better or worse. A lot of people that listen to this podcast may not be happy in their current position. Maybe they work in-house for an athletic team, or possibly they work at an agency, or maybe they're just doing a lot of B2B work. 
I love this mentality for those people and even for myself. Uh, but, but I'm curious, can you elaborate on this advice and what you mean yeah. by that? So one thing that I, I wanted to say about everything in the book, like there's always this, there's a story behind everything, you know, like, you know, whether it was, you know, like a career of experience that led to like that quote, cause it's like not one thing that like led to that quote, but you know, a lot right. of the things they're like, there, there's a backstory, you know, that I could go off on, you know, about somebody did something and this is like, but yeah, I mean, so my mentality with that, it's a little bit easier to, to say this as like a coder, not a designer, but I've got design examples, but imagine you're a coder and you're working on the most you know boring project known to man and you're doing a form for you know some boring site you know that you don't think you're ever going to show to anybody you're not ever going to claim it whatever but you you know you develop out and program all the javascript you know for the form and you know whatever on this boring project well if you spin you know you could sit there and be unhappy like i'm just sitting here doing this form for this project i'm never going to tell anybody about for like the fresno bagel company you know i, I don't care i'm not passionate about it. i wish i was doing nike you know and this is once again like a, like a spin best based on developer like once you realize though that hey if i put the time and effort into this thing i'm not ever going to show anybody about what happens when Nike does come around and they need a form like this and I take this code that I, you know, kind of really spent a lot of time on and drop it in and it immediately works with minimal tweaks, like that makes you look a lot better to Nike. You know, it's like, that's where this is kind of coming from. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing as like a designer. Like if you spend, you know, a bunch of time and invest a bunch of time on a crappy project, you know, being passionate about a certain style or, you know, like an even better example is, is, you know, so one of my first big jobs was working at one of those big dot coms that you mentioned earlier. Um, and we worked on the Mazda USA website. So the company is called March 1st. It was on the big dot coms that bombed and is no longer around. But I was working on Mazda, the Mazda USA site. And as a, you know, as a senior designer, but as a crappy one, like, you know, a bunch of my time was spent. This is back in the day before you had 3D versions of cars. Like they would go out, take a photo of the car in a, in a field. And if you wanted to, you know, take that car and, artistically do something cool with it on a website, you had to cut the car out and reshadow it, you know? So like, how would you take the car, put shadows so that you could take that car and like put it anywhere in the design, you know, like you did that by hand. And so that was, you know, ignore the fact that it was from Mazda and that's like a really high level client, but like, that's very much like grunt work. It's like, you know, you, you can look at it and be like, oh, I'm not really happy. I'm cutting out cars for eight hours a day, you know, fast forward, you know, and it's like, how does that relate? Well, that's made me like 10 times faster at doing specific things. So as I'm working on a project, for example, like Blizzard right now, and I cut out a character from one of their games, I do that in like, you know, in, not instantaneously, nothing's instantaneous, but I'm super fast at that. So once again, it's an example of like, here's this crap thing I'm doing for this project and I'm not ever going to tell anybody I sat there and did this thing, but oh my gosh, it relates to like later on for the really cool projects and that, you know, that you're, you're faster and you're able to make better decisions because you've already gone through this, this, these problem solving things and these technical things on the projects you don't care about when there's no pressure. Well, that, that actually, that example actually resonates really well with this audience too, because so many of these people have to cut out like, you know, 60 football players <laughs> to be used in various assets throughout sure. the season. And it's like, it's, it's so boring having to and, do that. But and ima imagine those, you know, those, you know, I'm thinking sports and like video montages now, but you see those like video montages, you know, where, you know, they've taken a still image of an athlete, professional athlete in whatever, let's say it's a baseball player, or a football player, and they've got him cut out from his background and you, you know it's it's super slow motion but you see like the arms like slowly kind of like pivoting and moving as if he's slowly in action like that was somebody cutting out right. 
<laughs> cutting out a person from a photo, dropping in After Effects, putting the pins, doing the whatever, and slowly moving that. So, you know, yeah, you know, you're a person, all you're doing is, is masking hair from, you know, headshots for your web, like, that will directly affect you later on if your goal is to go and, you know, do styles like that and do things like that. Like, it's a direct relationship, you know, and it's, you know, it's important. So uh, I love your, and, and a lot of this comes from the book, I love your viewpoint on college degrees. I actually went to college and I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Graphic Design. Uh, it was honestly mostly print. I've learned so much more post-grad since college. We were talking before we got started about how you you have to almost have this continuing curiosity if you want to work in this in this world. I'm on a steering committee actually for a local community and technical college, and it drives me absolutely nuts to sit in those meetings. And I'll tell and I'll tell them this is where the industry is going. This is what people are doing today in regards to what they're teaching. You need to change this. And the response is always geared towards bureaucracy. And it's like the amount of time it takes to change your curriculum, we we won't be able to push that through. Um, so for me personally, I mean, I definitely think degrees hold weight. Uh, and, and, you know, I respect people that take the time to get them, but I don't automatically think you get a pass just because you have one. And, and I also don't believe that because you don't have one that you aren't qualified or good or, or can be good enough or one of the best in this world. So, so you know, we're an ever-changing, fast-paced, technology-driven industry. So I'm curious, can you elaborate on some of your thoughts on that? Because I know that that stems from your, you don't have a degree in design, but now you've worked hard to get to where you are. Yeah, and it's really, I mean, I have an easy answer for this, but, you know, it's also very hard because, yeah, I'm I'm same as you. You know, I got a degree in something that doesn't relate to design. I mean, it, you know, it was rhetoric and communications, and I started as an aeronautical engineer, which, as I jokingly tell people, I think would have really fit my personality if I would have been able to see through it, you know, the, the BS of, you know, the, you know, going through undergrad math and all that stuff, you know, something technical, creative. But, yeah, I mean, the reality is, is, you know, we're not in an industry where a degree necessarily correlates something. Like if you're a doctor, you have to have a degree because you're dealing with people's lives and you, they're right. not going to let you cut somebody open if you don't have a degree and you haven't gone through eight whatever, you know, years of things. Right, you know? there's so, like legal ramifications and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, for better or worse, our industry does not currently have any sort of, you know, kind of like, you know, standardized thing which, you know, says, hey, you know, you need to have done these things or whatever. I mean, you know, I, I was thinking as you were talking about other things, like, you know, you, you have to, uh, you know, probably you have to have like a, you know, whatever, a license, you know, to be like a plumber, license to be a, an electrician, you know, obviously you're dealing with, you know, an electrician, you're dealing with health and safety of like the house burns down. So it's rather important. But yeah, I mean, in our industry, it isn't necessary to go to college for something. And I've always told people there's a part in the book that, you know, I'd have to open it up to look at a bit, you know, I talk about it. At the end of the day, it comes down to your personality and how you learn. Some people need to be told, hey, this is exactly like, you know, in a football sense, like step here, hands go here, punch somebody, you know, head play side, like all these different things, um, you know, to be successful. And, you know, football is maybe a bad example because it's, something that has to be taught but you know i guess the point is is you can send somebody you know and this is a struggle i have with my own kids like are they going to go to college do they need to go to college do they need to even go to art college if they end up becoming like artsy you know at the end of the day it comes down to how you learn best some people need to be told exactly you know the steps and they need to go to an art you know art college or go to college you know for design or development whatever it may be computer science you know and, and go through those things and i loved college like college was a lot of fun but you know if i look back and say hey was it beneficial for my career not directly i mean it helped me be a better speaker and be you know articulate and things you know you learn those socially kind of things but you know they helped me be a better designer well no i didn't 
even though I wanted to do this stuff until after college. So once again, it comes down to how you learn. If you need to be shown all those things, like then college is for you. Like you, you should do that. But if you're the person that's, you know, just very interested and you can kind of suspend that, you know, need to be instructed, then, well, gosh, there's, you know, answer to every possible question you'd ever need to be a successful designer or developer, whatever is already on the internet. People have already asked it and everything's there. And there's tutorials for everything on YouTube. There's answers to every development question on Stack Overflow. You just have to have an innate curiosity to, you know, as we kind of talked about before this, you know, I was one of those kids that, you know, as a, as a kid, if a, you know, a piece of electronics like failed me, whether it was like a tape recorder, which is an antiquated, you know, mp3 player back in the day if it's something broke like i was unscrewing it and looking inside to see hey what is this what may have gone wrong you know is it like some connection to the battery whatever like that was a part of who i was and so you know to me it's very easy translation to, to look and go like oh that's how i was that's how i am now if i don't have an answer to something i'm going to look for it if i want to be a part of something creatively i'm going to figure out how to do it and that was a part of my you know, mentality, you know, it's why I fix things up around the house or, you know, I'm building a desk for myself. It's like, I just want to have fun doing that. And that works for some people and other people it doesn't, you know, so go with wherever your personality goes. But thankfully we're in an industry where all that really matters is whether you're good or not. You know, what, what you're, if you're as a designer, if you have a good design style, if you're, you know, all that stuff, I mean, you know, it, it comes down to the results, not, not what the paper is, you know, and no one's ever asked me, Hey, did you go to school for design? Do you have a degree? I mean, you know, nothing. No one's ever asked me that, or you know, once I got once I got past a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, Shane, I could talk all day. Honestly, if it were even logical, I would go through every one of those uh, one of those uh, quotes in the book. I do want to end with this uh, one fourteen in the book: No more, do more, earn more, have more fun. A designer who can execute or influence the UX, UI, animation, photography, 3D, and development of a project is a management-level art director or creative director. They can control their professional destiny, the creative vision of their work, and earn as much money as they want. Individuals who can only do singular things will eventually reach a glass ceiling of respect, knowledge, and participation on their projects. They will also potentially grow frustrated as various aspects of a project are dictated by others. Uh, I just want to say, I absolutely love that. I tweeted a screenshot of that once. Um, and I just think that's a good place to end. This show has, has a freelance and sort of maker mentality mission for people in the world of sport. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast and, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can stay in touch as, as the future goes forward. For sure. Thanks for having me. Where can uh, where can people follow you online and and check out your work and also where can they buy this book? Uh, just I mean everything point of contact for for me is just always my my dot com so shanemilkey dot com. Uh, you know there's links off for the book on on all that stuff. You know whether it's the paper book on Amazon or the ebook. I also did hardcovers, but that was like self self fulfilled and that got tiring. So you know I'm I'm not doing those. Uh, anymore at this moment, but uh, yeah, everything shamelky.com. I mean, it's got all my you know Twitter and all that stuff. If you want to stalk me or do whatever, but um, that's the place. Fantastic! I appreciate it, man. Take care. Awesome. Thanks for having me. My next guest is going to be Tal Lemming. You may not be familiar with the name, but you are certainly familiar with the work as his 
work has actually had a very large footprint in the sports industry. Tal is a type designer, and more specifically, he is the designer of the typeface United by House Industries, which is one of sports' favorite typefaces. In addition, he has created typefaces for numerous brands. He's an LSU grad, uh, and he's worked with sports organizations such as the U.S. Soccer Federation on custom typography. He actually had a hand in the new font for U.S. Soccer, which is included in their new crest. More on Tal can be found on his website, typesupply.com, and he can also be followed on Twitter, at typesupply. Big thanks again to Shane Milkey for taking time out of his very busy schedule to come aboard the podcast. As mentioned, you can follow him on Twitter or Instagram, at Shane Milkey, or you can check out some of his work at shanemilkey.com. And be sure to go out and buy his book, Launch It. It's a really good book. It's full of very tweetable bits of wisdom, as I mentioned earlier, and it is a very easy, easy and quick read. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Makers of Sport, then please head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to check out previous interviews or listen to old halftime episodes where I discuss things like business, entrepreneurship, and freelance in the sports industry. Those halftime episodes since episode 65 have actually only been available to paid community members. If you want to support the podcast, the only way you can do so fiscally is to join the community at makersofsport.com slash community. And in doing so, you'll have access to private Q&As with future former and special guests, Google Hangouts, as well as interact with, share feedback, and build relationships with like-minded professionals in the live chat. All community content is recorded and available anytime you join, including those private Q&As. And we actually just started a book club, so we're reading Creativity Inc. right now and should be doing an online meetup about that to discuss things that we've learned. In addition, community members also get an opportunity to take part in a project that I call the High School Project. It's a pro bono branding project that we are taking part in for underfunded high school athletic programs around the U.S. More on that particular initiative can be found in episode 75, which is called Donating Your Creativity. I'm also working on building out some new initiatives with the community. One is a written feature called A Timeout With, which will be short questions and answers showcasing community members on Medium and in the Makers of Sport newsletter. So the community is ever-changing. More benefits come every day. Things, things are happening, and it's, it's a great place to, to be around people. And it's a, it's a supportive place. It's an honest place. It's a vulnerable place. There are no egos in there. In fact, egos to be blatantly honest, get kicked out. Um, it's, uh, the community is a very valuable thing to me personally, uh, interacting with these people every single day. And, and I think if you are serious about your career and you happen to love this podcast, then it's a great way to support the show and also gain a lot of value for yourself as well. Snapchat takeover should be kicking up very soon again. We're obviously getting into football season. All of, all, well, really all of the fall sports for uh, for, in college athletics and, uh, and professional. Um, we've had plenty of those in the past. Please be sure to follow at Makers of Sport on Snapchat to gain access to those. Those are usually taken over by community members that work in-house or have a, another interesting job in sports. So it's a great way to get behind the scenes and see what's happening uh, with people's jobs and the types of things that they're doing in their day-to-days. I do want to reiterate that this podcast is listener supported only and it is not sponsor supported. It's never going to be sponsor supported. You're never going to have to hit the 30 second skip button 
to forward past a mattress ad or something like that. Honestly, I'd rather you lose money than lose the integrity of the show by satisfying an advertiser. I don't have anything against advertising. I just don't necessarily want sponsors to have a voice on this particular podcast because I want to make it as valuable as possible for all listeners. And honestly, I just don't want sponsors to dictate where the show is going or who I'm interviewing. Uh, I didn't ask for a dime for two years before launching the community. So if you are interested, then please take the time to support. Again, you can support by going to makersofsport.com slash community. If you get value from the content coming from this podcast and its outlets in social media, newsletters, or other areas, then I definitely ask that you please do consider supporting the show fiscally with your hard-earned dollars. You're essentially voting with your dollars for this thing to exist. I believe in supporting the art that you want to exist in the world. Um, In exchange for that art, you get ever-changing premium content, as mentioned. So the newsletter, makersofsport.com slash newsletter is another way you can stay in touch with the show. If you don't join the community, it's a great way to find out about upcoming episodes and exclusive content such as weekend reads where I write articles that are geared towards professionalism and business and design in this particular niche of of the world. It's a sports business. Uh, They typically come out on Sundays. And honestly, they're kind of taking the place of halftime episodes. I enjoy writing, and those halftimes were always fun to write. Those have actually discontinued now. So this sort of takes a place and allows me to sort of spread some wisdom, if you will, of things that I've learned, or honestly just spread an opinion that other people can share or disagree with if you want. You're always free to respond to those emails and and tell me your opinions. I'm always down to listening and debating. And honestly, I just think having deep discussions about this business makes us all better. Lastly, please take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes, hit the five star and write about your experience with the show. Those reviews mean a lot for this podcast. And honestly, if you don't fiscally support the show by joining the community, this is another great way to say, hey, Adam, we really enjoy the stuff that you're doing and we want this thing to continue existing. And honestly, those reviews help other people discover the show for themselves as it affects the algorithms and iTunes. And it just shows people that, hey, this is a quality podcast that you're doing here, Adam, and and we want to give you a a shout out. So thanks again to everybody that has already written one of those. If you haven't, again, you can do that at makersofsport.com slash iTunes. And if you listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever else you happen to be listening to podcasts, then feel free to write a review there as well. All of that, all of those reviews matter. I read all of them, and I really appreciate all of them. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Snapchat, Instagram, and pretty much all social media. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.